You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. And amen. My heart is full. Praise the Lord for what he's done in our midst. Uh, it's, it's neat. Uh, Vince and I were... Oh, children, you are dismissed. Sorry. Children, kiddos, if you want to be a kid, you can be dismissed. <laughs> if you want to feel like a kid again, you can be dismissed. No. But uh, Vince and I were chatting. He was mentioning how deeply we need to pray for our country and our leadership and all that. And then it's just neat to hear just one accord. Our hearts just in one accord. Mike gets up and literally within one minute of us chatting about that, uh, he says that to our church, and it is definitely true. Uh, you need to keep our country uh, in, your, in your prayers, and uh, we, uh, we're desperately in need of a revival in our country, a turning uh, back to God, and uh, so you please, uh, please be in prayer uh, for, for our country. Philippians chapter number 4, Philippians chapter number 4. I said last week, as we started just a little mini-series, kind of stepping outside of the book of Mark uh, for just a period here of time, and uh, we started a series entitled, Within Grasp, and uh, my desire would be literally to be able to just sit across a coffee table uh, with you and just to have a uh, discussion uh, just with, you know, kind of just the idea of contentment in and of itself, and Satan, you know, Satan likes to fight in particular areas where he knows I will be preaching or preparing for a future uh, series and messages. He likes to fight those types of things. And uh, I was just, my heart was so full this week, just ready. I couldn't wait to kind of get back up here on on Sunday. And uh, yesterday afternoon, I just wanted to kind of clear my head a little bit. And so uh, Sarah and I, our our kids are down uh, in Southern California with the grandparents and uh, so we just got on a bike and we just rode and uh, kind of over there on Kenyatta Road overlooking just kind of our reservoir of water, just beautiful area and just really just asking God, give me a, a heart that is, uh, that is content uh, and it's just, it, it, I'm so thankful for, uh, for what he is doing in my life and I'm praying that uh, he will continue to do in your life. Again, just take this message as if we are sitting down next to each other with a heart of just love and compassion uh, towards you uh, as we uh, continue uh, through this idea. But the topic uh, of today, it literally, listen, it'll, it'll drive you crazy. It will, it will rob you of satisfaction and joy. It will literally eat your heart and consume your soul. Those are some weird words, right? Do I have your attention? Those are, those, those, these literally are, it, it, it's biblical language. Um, what, the, the topic that we're going to discuss today literally can transform you into a brute, a, a, a violent person, literally can make you into a beast. And what will do this horrible thing to you 
It is trying to find contentment, hear me, in creation and not the Creator. And so this morning's message I've entitled, Contentment in the Creator. Let's ask the Lord one more time to bless right now. Father, I come before You and Lord, we are, we are needy this morning to hear from You. God, our, our church, Lord, we as individuals, families, God, we, we, we so desperately need to find our contentment in You. And Lord, I pray that God, You would uh, do a do a mighty work here this morning. I pray that where the Word of God will be heavy, where, where we will lean into it, we will allow the, uh, the, the, the pressure that the Word of God will bring about in our lives as we are confronted with this idea of contentment once again. And God, I pray that You'd put a watch upon my lips as the psalmist prayed that I would only say that which would be glorified and honoring to You. Take anything out of my notes that, Lord, out of my mind that You would not desire for me to say today. I only want to be a vessel. No agenda whatsoever. A vessel that You can use. And God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Trying to find contentment in creation rather than the Creator breeds all types of ramifications in your life. I want you to listen to the confession of Asaph that he makes in Psalm 73, verse number 21. Thus my heart was grieved. I was pricked in my veins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was a beast before thee. And so how did, how did Asaph, how did, he, how did he get to this point? Well, it starts with a misplaced desire in his life. See, if you and I, if we allow yourself to believe that lasting fulfillment can be found in the comforts of the physical world, then your everyday life will be a hot pursuit of pleasure. You and I, we will seek control over people. We will seek control over circumstances to ensure that you and I get the things that you have set your heart upon. And so that misplaced desire very quickly morphs into a just envious frustration of what maybe others have. We read earlier in Psalm 73, verse 3, For I was envious at the foolish when I, was, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there was no bands in their death, or there was no pangs or so to speak in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. And so when you chase something that does not exist and cannot be attained, that is the fulfillment, that is the satisfaction here in creation, you and I, hear me, we will get frustrated. And the harder you work to fill your heart, the emptier and emptier it will become. In your anger, you will become this kind of incessant treasure counter. You're going to measure your pile of riches against those around you. Not only will you judge and condemn others, you will deem to have, that, that you deem to have a better life than you. You will begin to judge and condemn God as unfair and unloving. Because somehow you receive the short end. 
of the stick. It's a miserable way to operate. And it can happen to any of us. Any of us in this room can seek fulfillment, can seek satisfaction, can seek contentment on a horizontal plane this week and trying to find joy and life's meaning and fulfillment of heart in the creation rather than the Creator. And the reason why it's possible for each and every one of you still to do this is because we know that sin still remains. And if we do not protect our heart, we can function with a distorted worldview. This world was never meant to design to satisfy us. Yet you and I, we ask for it too. And if we're not careful, we will, we will try to get people to submit to us. And that will only last for a while. We will try to get circumstances to bend to our liking. And we know that on a daily basis that will, uh, that that will rupture. But most importantly, God will not abandon His holy throne so that we can enjoy fleeting pleasure like little demigods. He does not bow at our every whim, at our every desire. It is not, hear me, it is not inherently wrong to find pleasure pleasurable or to desire comfort. Nor is it ungodly to seek security and stability with earthly blessings while on earth. In and of itself, that is not wrong. For you and I to enjoy life, for you and I to find the pleasures of this world pleasurable, that is not wrong. These things, however, are not meant to replace God. Your heart has been wired to find its hope, to find its peace and rest in the Creator and not what He created. And so when you and I, when we seek contentment on a horizontal plane here on this earth, listen, it is a frustrating pursuit of bigger and better. You remember last week? How do we, how do we fight that bigger and better mentality? And so may I ask you a tough question here this morning. What if the Creator of all things allows you to be forced to live with a little for a period of time? Or for a long time? What if the Creator of the universe says, I want you to live with little or small. Let's read some of our main texts that we started last week here this morning. Words will be up on the screen. Philippians 4, verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the least your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in Whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, how to be low, and also how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so as we continue this journey on contentment and the idea of it being within grasp, I want to start this morning's message with this point here. Be satisfied with little. Be satisfied with little. 
Our Western affluence, it's a double-edged sword. The technology advances and the creature comforts that come with that come with it, they're certainly a blessing. And you and I, we ought to and we should enjoy those. We ought not feel bad because of the, uh, the blessings that we have experienced here in America. But too often, that blessing is abused as we are swept up in this quest for the bigger and the better that we talked about last week. In a culture that's dominated by rampant consumerism and contentment is one of the things that is hard to find in our world. When your contentment is contingent upon satisfying all of your desires and all of your wants, it becomes an ever-moving target. Because what you want is always changing. Every season of your life, it is something else that you want. And so if our joy is found in all of those desires being fulfilled, it is a fleeting joy at best. Or it's definitely a moving target and is very hard to obtain. John D. Rockefeller was considered widely to have been the richest American of all time as he was living. He amassed his fortune as a pioneering oil tycoon in the 19th and 20th century. And the story goes that when asked how much money was enough, his reply was, a little bit more. Now, I'll be honest with you, that is very sobering testimony for those who spend their lives chasing what Rockefeller managed to catch. That you're always going to want a little bit more. He, he climbed to the, to, to the mountaintop of financial riches and he ended up like everyone who has aspired to be like him. Something better. Something bigger. Just a little bit more. The Apostle Paul, he understood the futility of uh, the futility, excuse me, of seeking contentment through financial and material wealth. He instructed us to look elsewhere. We see in verse number eleven, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, and whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now you and I, we would have a hard time you know, echoing that sentiment today maybe in our, in our world. Even in the midst of our relatively comfortable 21st you know, century lives, His circumstances, you know, we, we, we can't always understand those. But the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi while he was in a prison while he was literally chained to, uh, to the guard there. And so you and I, you can just totally forget creature comforts. The Apostle Paul would not have known what privacy is like. Once you think about that for a moment, how many of you like some of your own privacy, right? Hey, yeah, you, you do, right? Absolutely. Uh, I, Sarah, I've, Sarah and I have cracked up so many times. One of the, uh, I think it was the leader of, uh, of Mops right now, they were showing a video uh, to some of the Mops groups in there and how you know, the dad can be on the couch there, uh, fully available to the children, but the, ch- but the children will run right past the dad and just burst in on you know, the mom who's in the bathroom or something. Just you know, no privacy whatsoever. And yet Paul would have had none chained 
to another man in a dark, dingy prison. And Paul's able to say, not that I speak in respect of want. You know, it's another way of saying, Paul is saying, you know, I really don't have any needs that aren't being met. Our needs as a human being are simple. Food, clothing, shelter. Scripture says to be content with the bare necessities of life. Now that attitude is in marked contrast to the attitude of our culture. You okay? I prayed all, I prayed all week that, that you'd receive the message this morning. People today aren't content. They're not content with a little, and they're not even content with much. Some of the most unhappy people are the people that seemingly have everything. Modern advertising, honestly, it pours on more fuel to this fire of dissatisfaction. I mean, ads and commercials and billboards and everything. They, they bombard us, and they, they, they're reminders of how green the grass is somewhere else. Worse still, they inflame our fleshly desires and they sow confusion about what we want and about what we need. So how can we, how can we rise above the confusion and the discernment our true needs are, what they really are? On a practical level, there are steps that you and I that we can start to take of renewing our minds so we can fight against the tide of this materialistic greed that is all around us that we are bombarded with every single day of our lives. So I want you to protect yourself this week. I want you to actively do a little bit of homework this week. I'm going to do the very same thing this week, and I want to pay careful attention to whenever I, and I want you to do the very same thing, whenever you attach the word need to something in your thoughts or speech. So this message is going to have to take legs here this morning. You and I, we're going to have to go beyond just having been in church on a Sunday. And by the way, I'm glad you're here. But you and I, we're going to have to go into our week and we're going to have to, we're going to, have to actually think about this. We're not just going to have to allow it to go one ear and out the other. I want, you to, I want you to think about what you deem as a need in your life by when you say, well, hey, I need this and I need that. You don't necessarily have to say it, but sometimes even when we're thinking it. And I want you to try to edit any use of that word need that goes beyond life's bare essentials. Now, I'm not trying to paint Paul as the hero because I'm getting to the real hero of the text here in a minute. But Paul was able to do it. So can you. So can I. And Paul's circumstances as he writes this, man, I've learned what to be content with. His circumstances at the very moment that he's, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing this are drastically most likely far more difficult than the situation you and I are living in. And so thankfully, God blesses us way beyond our basic necessities. Amen? All right. So you and I will be satisfied with little when you and I refuse to depend on luxuries the world has redefined 
as a need. Man. I really would like an iPhone 11. Anybody else? No one buy you one. I'm just kidding. But this is an 8. You know, they've had 10s and I don't even know where they're at right now. I think they skipped nine. I don't know how they did that, right? They just went from eight to ten, right? But man, how many of you, don't raise your hand, just in your mind, how many of you think a phone in general is a need? Hey, it's 2019, Ryan. You know, I, man, I'm a, I, I get it. I get it. I, I, I need this too. It's like connected to me, right? It's pathetic. Sometimes I wake up, first thing I do, just boop, and just open it up. So how are you and how am I distinguishing between what you want and what you need? You and I, we must be aware that the world is always trying to blur the lines between those. Then you and I will be better able to follow Paul's example of finding contentedness regardless of what we presently lack. But Paul didn't have to face what we face today, you might say. Yeah, that's true. But his resume included multiple imprisonments, beatings, three shipwrecks, exposure to the elements, hunger, thirst, a life consistently under threat from the spiritual enemies. Can I just read it very, very quickly? It'll go up on the screen here. And they ministers of Christ, I speak as a fool. I am more, and labor is more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, and was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have spent in the deep, in journeys oft, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils in mine own countrymen, in perils of my heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in, we- in wearings, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, so on and so forth. But Paul learned, that's encouraging to me, Paul learned to be content amidst all the pressure and adversity that he faced. And here I'm about to say, and so can we. There is hope in this area. The world is drastically out of control. Most likely our lives in here may be seasons. Maybe you're totally out of control in this area. But there's seasons, it's ebbs and flows. But there is hope for you and I. And the one thing that steals our contentment more than anything else is trying circumstances. We tend to crumble and we lose our sense of, self, sense of satisfaction and peace when we allow our, circumcise, or our, our, our circumstances to victimize us. No doubt Paul was human and suffered the way that you and I suffer through this. But he says in verse number 11, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And he really meant whatever circumstances. For the next verse, he ran the gauntlet of extremes. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. It is possible for us as Christians, hear me, to learn to be content in any situation of our lives. Be content with little. That's where it starts. Number two. We okay? We're all right? Moving on. Be focused on others. 
be focused on others. Contentment is always elusive when it is based upon the pursuit of our personal happiness. While the world encourages us to prioritize our felt needs, realize our dreams, and strive for personal success and satisfaction, there's no lasting contentment in selfish pursuits. Widespread self-absorption takes a heavy toll on society. It's all over our world. Nobody's happy. Can't please anybody, it seems like, in this world today. You and I, we can't, we can't succumb to this. That's why the Apostle Paul pointed our focus away from ourselves earlier in Philippians. He said in Philippians 2, verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of line, let every esteem other better than themselves. Let not every man, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so Paul's life is a testimony of the fact that lasting contentment is a product of cultivating a selfless concern for others. See, Paul wasn't so concerned about his needs being met, although he was thankful that they were able to do that. This kind of is a big thank you letter you know, to the church there at Philippi. But he said in verse number 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul was more interested in the spiritual benefit of others than the material gain for himself being comfortable, being well-fed and satisfied, those weren't Paul's main concerns in life. Rather, he was interested in accruing eternal dividends to the lives of the people he loved. Paul described the gift that these people at Philippi uh, gave to him in verse number 18, but I have all and abound. I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. He was using Old Testament imagery to say, not only did you give this gift to me, you gave this gift to God also. His joy came not because he finally received what he had been wanting, but because the Philippians had given him something that honored God and would accrue to their spiritual benefit. Spiritual benefits and earthly dividends are the greatest possible rewards that we could receive. That's what Jesus said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So these undiminished and unmovable benefits that no personal bank account could ever guarantee, it's not always what excites us. It's not always what stokes the passions. It's not always like, man, you know what? I want to get up today so I can get some earthly treasures. No, it's... 
I know I'm not the only one that knows what I'm talking about. And sometimes it's like, no, we want earthly gain, right? We want, we want some earthly treasures. And if we're not careful, sometimes that is what motivates us. But Paul closes his passage by reminding the Philippians that because of their selfless generosity, that God, He's not ignorant to their, to their, to their immediate needs. He's not, he's not ignorant to what they physically need in Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He assured them that, that God takes an active interest in caring for the physical needs of His people. We've talked about that. If you've been in our 10 o'clock series over and over and over again, we've looked at the mighty care that is found uh, in our Heavenly Father. It is liberating to know that we can sacrificially care for others. That we can lift our eyes up off of ourselves and our felt needs and our own desires and we begin to meet the needs of others knowing that God will be the one that sustains us. Matthew 6.26, again in the Sermon on the Mount, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Jesus is saying, listen, your heavenly Father, He's going to take far better care of you than He does the birds and the fields. And by the way, He takes care of them. The fields are beautiful. Seasons are gorgeous. Few would argue the value and the virtue of selflessness. None of us would argue it. And it feels great when you do it. It's just hard to do it, right? Right. Rejoicing, the Bible says, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Romans 14, let us therefore follow after things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another, to build up another, to encourage another, to strengthen another person. Romans 15.1 We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. It's a whole undergirding of that text, but certainly you can pull that out. That it doesn't have to always be about ourselves. These were more like gray areas in the Christian life, but listen, it doesn't always have to be about you. It can be about somebody else. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Paul understood that true contentment only comes through a selfless way of life. And God, help me. I'm praying that God would help Ryan that would live a more selfless, a more open-handed way of life whether it's my time or whether it's my abilities or it is the actual treasures and the, and the funds that I have that I would lift my eyes up off myself. Be willing to go with a little bit less as I give to others. Let's get to our last point here. You, you, you've listened well. Number three, be sustained by God. Throughout this little mini-series that we're on, we've, we've looked at what true contentment is. And last week, we, we looked at how there are some choices, that, there's some choices we can make. We can choose to trust God's providence. We looked at that heavily last week. We can, when, when, when we see no provision... 
The Apostle Paul had gone a season without receiving anything from the church at Philippi. At the beginning, it was really, really strong. And then there was about a 10-year period between Acts 16 when the church was started and now when he's writing this letter when they're, again, assisting him financially. So he's learned that through all of it, God is providential and He's going to provide for us. You and I, we can be satisfied when we don't have very much. We can be unswayed even though the circumstances ebb and flow in our life and we do we can be preoccupied by the needs of others. But Paul did not simply manufacture his contentment by making those choices. He did not decide one day that I'm going to stop being dissatisfied and wish his own contentment into existence. Nor was it merely a product of self-discipline and self-determination. The contentment he learned did not start with his ability at all to necessarily to survive on very little or the simplicity of the material needs that he claimed he had. Paul's contented outlook started with and is empowered by the ultimate sustenance and satisfaction that he found in Christ. The desires and the trappings of this world meant nothing in comparison to what he had in Christ. He tells us in the previous chapter in Philippians 3.8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all these things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And so the fundamental secret to abiding contentment as he faced earthly circumstances, the ebbs and flows of, of needs being unmet for seasons, is that he had a confident assurance. In verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul had learned that no matter how difficult things get in this material world, every Christian has a spiritual undergirding. In saying he could do all things through Christ, Paul was referring to endurance, not miraculous provision. He did not mean that he could go on forever without eating, that he could go on forever without drinking. Paul did not mean that he could um, endure a beating of 5,000 stripes. There is a limit to the physical hardships any human being can endure. Instead, what Paul was saying here is, is that when I have come to the end of my own resources, then I experience the power of Christ to sustain me until the provision is made. Understand the context in which that verse comes at us with. He believed in the promise of Isaiah 40, verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Like Paul, we need provisions of this divine power to do what is not humanly possible. To be content in trials. To be content in hardships. To wean us from our dissatisfaction that the world is constantly pumping us. You and I, we cannot just make a mental decision that I am going to be content. What you and I need is to understand that it is Christ that can help us as we go our way. Do you remember point number one from last week? Christ and contentment, they go together. 
Apart from, apart from Christ, there's no real lasting contentment. There's just going to be this just salve. It has got to be Christ. Week in, week out, moment after moment after moment. Contentment is a byproduct of distress. It comes when you experience the sustaining power of Christ when you simply have run out of steam. It says in earlier in Isaiah 40, verse 29, He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increases strength. We do well to experience enough difficulty in our lives to see Christ's power on display in us. Did you hear what I said? It is good for you to experience difficulty. There's a sign-up sheet in the back table for you to have a difficult week, okay? Not really. And none of us would really sign it, would we? But I'm telling you that it does you good benefit to experience the difficulty because it's in those moments where you see the power of Christ. We looked at 10 o'clock. It's not up on the screen where, G, where, where Paul was like, man, I've got this thorn in the flesh. I've asked, I've asked Jesus to take it away three different times. And Jesus is like, nope. My grace is sufficient for you. It's in this weakness that I want to shine my power and my grace through you. And Paul says, okay. I'd rather glory in this affirmity right here than to have this taken away. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly of a ball that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in what? What does it say? In what? All right, let's read it again. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Wow! According to the power that worketh in, talk to me. Us. Us. If you were to look earlier in the chapter, it's all about Christ. It's all about the Gospel in you. You will learn contentment when you have stood in the valley of the shadow of death. When you have been at the brink. You will learn contentment when you cannot resolve your problems. When you cannot eliminate the conflict. When you cannot fix your marriage. When you cannot do anything about the kids. When you cannot change your work environment. When you are unable to fight the disease that is wrecking your body. That is when you will turn to God and find the strength to get through the situation. That is a tremendously encouraging perspective on the trials and adversity that a fallen world regularly will throw your way. God's strength does not excuse us from hardship in this fallen world. It helps us get through it. Oh, it's not going to excuse you. Hey, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. What's the context? What's Paul alluding to? When there's seasons of abundance and seasons of going without. He's saying in all of these seasons, in all of these moments, it was great when I received from you early on in the work of the ministry. And there was a season where I didn't. He said, you didn't have opportunity. Remember, it was like an agricultural way of describing it. It's, it's blooming again now. There wasn't an opportunity. It wasn't your season to be able to bless me. And now you're blessing me again. Thank you. But through it all, I've learned to be content. Why? Because of Christ. Christ in me. 
I can go through it all. I'm not going to have an easy, cushy life. That's what we want. That's what we work for. That's not going to happen. So I want to ask you a question as I close. You've listened well. Man, I wish it was kind of more of a one-on-one nature. What in this created world are you hoping will satisfy your soul? I want you to look at your life. And I want you to think right now, don't, don't be passive, in your specific life, what is it in this created world that you are seeking to find contentment in? To find joy in? To find a full heart in? And then I want you to ask the question, why do you think you desire it so much? Psalm 73, where we started, reminds us that the crisis of human existence is not that we are horizontally unfulfilled. The crisis, and I I encourage you to read all of it. We didn't have the time for that to be introductory. Read Psalm 73. Read the confession of, of Asa. The crisis of Psalm 73 is that not so much the unfulfillment on a horizontal plane, but it's that you and I vertically, we cut ourselves off, so to speak, from the source of our help because we get mad at God, because we run from God, because we deem that our needs aren't being met. You remember the exercise that we have for the week? We deem that our, that our needs aren't being met. And so we get angry with God. We curse God, so to speak. We run from God. And that's the problem with Psalm 73. Is our source of contentment is the one we're mad at. Our source of contentment, Ryan, is the one I'm running from, not to. The grace of the Lord, he, it connects us to God. The only place where our heart can actually find rest. It's the only place where we're delivered from the madness of our desires to seek contentment in the creation. In what ways have you tried to find joy and fulfillment? Again, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with the pleasures of this world. But if we are replacing that, replacing God, it is a foolish and unfulfilling pursuit of bigger and better and what if it's a season where God says Ryan I want you to live with little because it's not fulfilling my desires so what is it in creation that you are connecting your contentment with and then realize That in Christ, you can do all things. And you can relinquish that in your life, whether you ever receive it. And sometimes we receive it. It's awesome. He's so good. But even if he doesn't, your contentedness is still there. It's within grasp, guys. Contentment in a world is ravaging 
the idea of contentment. It's literally right there in your grasp. And it's found in Christ. Will you worship Him? Will you worship Him this afternoon? Worship Him and not the creation. If He becomes enough, you will find that horizontally you find so much more joy in life. When our priorities are top down. Every head bowed, every eye closed.